So we are continuing this series titled The Life of Moses, and we are on week three. We're actually concluding uh, next week with week four, and so we've, we've taken this kind of large, over, you know, 30,000-foot view of the life of Moses. We started in the first week of looking at Egypt and this whole idea of just a few generations after Joseph and, and how he brought all of Israel into the land of Egypt during the famine, and God protected them in that way. And now is the next season of what God's doing uh, in Israel and through Israel. We saw just, again, the environment that Moses was born into was not a good one. It was one of where, um, again, huge oppression for Israel and where God protected and anointed Moses from the very moment of his birth, right, to, that he was uh, not just saved but adopted into the palace, I mean, by Pharaoh's daughter and and he grew up there in the palace and as a Hebrew and was learning how to lead a nation. I mean, just as he watched and observed everything that happened around him in those years. And then last week, we see that we, the text skips over to his adult life. And, and we saw, again, how he, he had that purpose ingrained in his heart. And, and he, he, he had a, a desire to help his people, right? And he saw the oppression, the slavery, and the abuse. And said, man, I, I want to help that. And yet he did it under his own power and he messed it up. And, you know, we can all identify with that, right? When we do it on our own power with our own ideas, we mess it up really easily. Right? And then again, he went into exile, right? He went off and into the desert and he, he was um, molded and, and anointed by God in a very special way at the burning bush. And it's one of the most famous things about Moses. And we looked at that last week and that when God purifies him, right, in that experience where he anoints him and, and sends him on mission, right? It's the same thing that God does for us, right, is he purifies us, saves us, anoints us, and sends us on mission. Every believer is on a mission. We all have a purpose, right? And, and we see how, again, how Moses then embraces that, and he kind of goes back and forth with God, right? And I was like, no, I can't do that. And I was like, but I know you can't, but I can, and I'm going to do it through you. Right? And just, again, where, where our weakness is is where God fills in with his strength. Right? We looked at that last week. Now, this week, we're going to pick up right where we left off um, last week. And, and this is where Moses had surrendered to God's will. He'd gotten Aaron beside him, and they're working together as a team. Um, he'd gone to the Israelite people back in Egypt, and they were praising God for answering their cries for help. Right? And now we move into the next step, right? And, and the next step is when Moses and Aaron go, literally go to Pharaoh, and they present this idea to Pharaoh of, of what God is doing and saying, hey, these people need to leave. You need to let them go. Now, before we jump into the text today, um, to say, and, and we're going we're gonna to jump into that um, here in a minute, and so just get your Bibles ready. Exodus 5 is where we're going to pick up. It's where we left off last week. Uh, before we do that, though, I just want to say that there's this big picture concept that's emerging in this story. And last, last week, we saw at the burning bush that God gave his name to Moses, and he gave his name to, to the Israelites. And, and that was the name he started, right? His name was I Am. I am what I am, right? And, and we looked at that name a little bit last week and kind of how that, but again, it's, I mean, we all think, well, that's not, that's not a very good name, <laughs> right? Like, you know, but yet it's a perfect name, right? Because it just, it communicates so much about who God is and about his character and about how he's, again, he's eternal and he's the, the uncreated creator. He's the one in control. He's all powerful, right? He's the ultimate authority. I mean, there's all these things that are encompassed into just God being the I am, 
Right? And, and there we see this name of God that runs through all of Scripture, in fact. Right? All the way to, to the very last book, I mean, to Revelation, and at the, the second coming, I mean, God is still claiming, in fact, there, that he is I am. Right? And there, there's powerful um, and huge connotations to that name. Like I said, it's kind of a weird name, but it's the perfect name right, for our God. And as we look at that, kind of the, the big picture concept that's emerging from this story that, that I think we, we still have to learn today, that, that is so relevant to us as much as it was to Moses and Aaron and the Israelites and the Egyptians and, and all through all of history from then till now. And that is this big picture concept that we need to never forget that God is I am. We can never forget that. That we can never forget that God is God, and we are not. That we can never forget that he is the creator, the uncreated creator. We can never forget that he is eternal, that he is all-powerful, that he is the ultimate authority, that he's the one in control. Right? This has to be at the forefront of our mind and at the forefront of our heart in every decision, in every relationship, in every challenge, in everything we face. We can never forget that God is I am. And, and again, this, as we step into this story, and I think as we see that, that like, this is the, the constant problem that we as humans have, <laughs> right, with our own human nature and sinfulness and, uh, and egos and all these kind of things, right, and it all gets the way, and, and it's so easy to forget that God is I am. Again, we're going to look at this today. I mean, this is, this is the core. I mean, we see this run through all the way through, again, this story and, and, and into even the, the, the history that follows. But, but, so we're going to jump into our text this morning. We have a lot of text to cover. Okay? So, um, so get ready. Okay? Have your Bibles open. We're going to, we're going to read and we're going to, I'm going to summarize a lot. We're going to go over it. So keep your Bibles open. But we're starting with Exodus chapter 5, verses uh, Verses 5, verse 1 is where we're going to be. But there's, again, this, this first couple chapter section from 5.1 through 7.13, okay, is where we have just these initial interactions with Pharaoh. Okay, and this is where, again, Moses and Aaron show up. They, they, they present this to him. So we're going to pick up here uh, Exodus 5, verse 1, where it says, After this presentation to the Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. And they told him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is this so, retorted Pharaoh, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with the sword. And Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. And I just want to pause there, right, and just say, as we look at this, this first interaction with, between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh, as they present this idea that, hey, the Israelites need to go. Right? Well, this did not go well. In fact, we see this, right? I mean, he pushes back immediately, right? In fact, when you think about this big picture idea of never forgetting about God, okay, and that he is the I am, right, and all the connotations that come with that, we see Pharaoh do exactly the opposite. 
In fact, what Pharaoh does is he completely denies God's power and God's position. Completely denies, right? That it, and he's like, well, I don't even know if he exists. And if he does, I don't care. Right? I mean, that's literally what Pharaoh comes back with, right? He completely denies God and denies his power. I mean, that's exactly the reaction we see, right? In verse 2, he says, is that so, retorted Pharaoh? And who is this Lord? Why should I listen to him and let him go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let him go. Again, he's like, I don't care. I don't care what your God says. It means nothing to me. And I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And in fact, in that, you can sense even behind these words kind of the arrogance of that, right? Like, and I dare you to try and stop me. Right? I mean, literally, there's, like, this is the attitude. And I think as we see this attitude, right, we... we We've all seen this attitude, haven't we? Right? Maybe it's been in ourselves. I mean, maybe it's in those moments, right, when it's like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do, and who cares about God? Right? But we see that in our world all the time, don't we? Right? Like, sure, if you want God, that's fine. You, you, you do your God thing, but I don't care. Then we see, again, this, this reaction, right, of Pharaoh. And like I said, this interaction did not go well. And it, by the way, spoiler alert, it only gets worse in these interactions with Pharaoh. Okay, because they go back and forth several times. And, and again, as, as they do that, it only gets worse. In fact, as, as Pharaoh said, we read in that text, right, he's like, no, you would just need to get back to work. Right? Stop distracting these people. They have work to do. Let them go work. Right? And in fact, Pharaoh ups the game after this interaction. In fact, he literally, I mean, he, he was abusing the Israelites before this, right? And now he's, he makes it even worse, right? And he makes, purposely makes the jobs harder for them. Hey, they, and, and again, I, you, we might have experienced this as well, right? You feel like you're stepping into God's will, and you take that first step of faith. You have the conversation. You, you draw the line in the sand, right? Whatever that is. And your life gets worse, I've experienced that, have you? Right, we get to that moment, right? And it was like, man, because guess what? You step up, and if you start to fight against the enemy, guess what the enemy does? He steps up his game. Right? He's like, don't call me out. I'll make your life worse. Right, and sometimes that happens. In fact, that's kind of one of, I think, the lies that we can even promote, even with the gospel, right? Is we tell people, hey, just accept Christ as your Savior, and everything's going to be great, right? And, and so they do. And guess what? Their life kind of takes a, a turn for the worse. Right? Because the enemy steps up. Not just when they step up to God, but the enemy steps up and says, no, I, I'm not willing to lose this battle that easy. Right? And things get worse. And, and as things get worse, then we, we see um, this, this reaction right, of Moses and the Israelites in the following verses. In fact, Moses and the Israelites get frustrated with God and with his plan. Again, the Israelites get the frustration. They come, they take it out on Moses. Moses gets frustrated, and he comes and takes it out on God. Right? And in these moments, right, as we step into God's will, even for the first time in our lives, okay, we, we have to know that and even expect, right? The, Bible, the scripture tells us that we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. And so we got to sit back and be like, hey, you know what? Things might get worse. And I need to be ready for that. That we have to fight these emotions and these temptations to abandon God's plan when it gets tough. 
Right? We, we have to fight that temptation. Right? We see exactly what Moses does in this situation in verses 22 and 23. It says, Then Moses went back to the Lord and he protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Because ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Again, we can even sense here, right, this, this own fleshly response by Moses, right, in this moment. He's shaking his finger in the face of God. <laughs> right, God, why are you doing anything? Right, in fact, my life's just gotten worse. Right, I mean, here you did something, and now you, you made it worse, God. <laughs> right, why don't you do something? Now, as we look at these two reactions, right, whether we just completely deny God, and his existence, and his power, and we just push him away completely, or whether we, we ex- accept him but then get frustrated. We, these are both very common responses to God, even today. Right? We look at both of these, and, and we can identify right, at different times. Again, we just want to do our own thing, we just, or just ignore God completely. We get frustrated or upset when God doesn't do the things that I think God should do. Guilty. Right, but we have to remember, never forget that God is I am. Especially in those moments. Because the reality is that our reaction to God doesn't change the fact that God is I am. Our reaction to God, our pushback on God, our own ego, right, our own plan, our own expectations, the box we put God into, all those things does not change who God is. Because he is the great I am. Right? That does not change. Again, that's outside my power and it's outside yours. It was outside of Moses' power, right? It was outside of the Israelites. I mean, all of them, right? The fact is that God is I am. And our reaction, our attitudes, our egos, our own expectations do not change that. That as we see in, in Romans 14, verses 11 and 12, okay, it, it says, For the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Notice that we have zero qualifications into that fact. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Even if you deny his existence, right, is that you will end up in front of God. Scripture is very clear. Hey, our expectations, if we think we have a better plan, you know, all this kind of thing, right, does not change the fact that God is I am. Every knee will bow and every tongue will declare. Yeah, we see that. In fact, this, this passage in Romans, right, as, as Paul's warning us and saying everybody will give an account to God. Yeah, in fact, he quotes an Old Testament prophecy in this scripture. Yeah, and it comes out of Isaiah. Okay, Isaiah 45, verses 22 through 24, where it says, Let the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name, and I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance to me. The people will declare the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength, and all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. Again, this, this was written... Thousands of years before Christ came. 
And, and this is the passage that Paul quotes in Romans 14. Right? But notice the, 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 the opening thought right, of this. In fact, I encourage you to underline it. <laughs> Let all the world look to me for salvation. Right? This is God's plan. This is God's will. This is the heart of who God is. This is the heart of I am. Right? Let the world turn to me for salvation. Again, what is God's will for the world? Well, it's to be saved. It is not to be condemned. It is not to be cast aside. Right? It is to be saved. He says, look, and because that's exactly what God says here through the prophet Isaiah. He says, where you fall short, I fill in. Where you are weak, I am is strong. Where you are powerless... God's power steps in, right? And that is the core of the gospel message, is that I, I'm not God and I cannot save myself. I can never be good enough. I can never do enough good works. I can never, you know, um, I, I can't get to that standard, right? But God steps in where we fall short. That's why he sent Jesus, right? That's why he lived a sinless life, to die on a cross, to take our place, to pay for our sins, so that we just receive God and his spirit and his mercy and his forgiveness. Because the reality is our reaction to God does not change the fact that God is I am. And that he has the power to save. So as we see this, this idea, right, this, this tension that starts to build here between Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron and the Israelites, the tension continues to build. And yet God continues to establish his authority and power. Right, through Moses, through Aaron, through the Israelite people. Um, with Moses and the Israelites, again, he establishes his presence. Okay, as well as he starts to reveal himself to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. Okay, and as this back and forth continues to go, again, it does not go well, right? It continues to escalate. It continues to get worse. And I'll say, though, is that it ends up not it escalates towards the Egyptians, right? The more, the more they push back on God, the more that God pushes back on them. Okay, but before we look at this, as this continues to build, okay, I want to look at, at, at Exodus um, chapter 6, okay, verses 1 through 8. Okay, and this is where God responds to Moses, right? We left, that's where we left out, right? Moses shaking his finger back at God, and, and God responds here in Exodus chapter 6. So I'm going to pick up here Exodus 6 verse 1, which says, Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And when he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore... Say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, who your God, who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. 
I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Again, we see as God responds to this, he's like, hey, nothing's changed, Moses. (laughs) Just trust me. Because I am the Lord. Like, I have this well in control. Watch me work, right? I mean, literally, that's what God's telling him, right? Just watch what I'm going to do. I'm still in control. I know what I'm doing. In fact, to see, again, what's, what's going to be the result, right, of God's plan in this? Okay, we see that God's will and plan for Israel in verse 7 that we just read. He says, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. You know, there's, a, there's some really key things here in this verse, right? This, this, this promise of God. Okay, the first is realize this, this first sentence, okay, where it says, I will claim you as my people and you will be my God. Okay, this shows that God wants a relationship with his people. He's saying, I, I will cl- I've, I'm claiming you, and you will claim me back. Right? We will be in relationship together. Because again, what had Israel done at this moment? They had forgotten who God was. They'd forgotten their identity as God's chosen people. Right? They had focused on their, their circumstances and on their oppression and their abuse. And they had forgotten about the great I am. And he says, no, I will claim you. Right? I will show you my power. I will claim you as my people, and you will be my God. This shows us how much God wants relationship with us. It's a core part of God's character. He wants a relationship with us. And then, right, know the result of this, right, of this relationship. And I encourage you to circle the phrase on your outline. It says, then you will know. Then you will know. And what will we know? That I am the Lord. We will know that God is the great I am. We will never forget that again. Again, this is the first place that the enemy attacks, is with the lie that God doesn't exist, or that God doesn't love you, or that God just ignores you and doesn't care, that he doesn't want a relationship with you. And guess what? Those are all lies. And, and the world has believed those lies, right? That God doesn't exist, that he doesn't love them, that he, he doesn't want to be with them, right? But notice, again, the result of this relationship with God is that then you will know and never doubt it again, right? You will know and never doubt it again. We see this, right? That God wants a relationship, and the, the result of that relationship is that we will know that God is God. Okay, and then God addresses Pharaoh and his reaction okay, to God as he's rejected him. We're going to see his reaction and as God deals with him in Exodus chapter 7. So we're going to pick up here, Exodus 7, picking up at verse 1. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pay close attention to this, and I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. 
So I will bring down my fists on Egypt, and I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. And when I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Again, he says, guys, keep going, right? Keep, keep going back to him. And, and, and every time you go to him, present the same thing. Let me speak through you. And that I will show them what is going to happen. Again, he tells us that in verse 5, right? When I raise my powerful hand and, and bring out the Israelites, then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Again, circle that same phrase, right? They will know that I am the Lord, right? Even unbelieving people will know. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will declare. Even if that's at the second coming of Christ, that will happen. Okay, that will be fulfilled. Again, our reaction to God doesn't change the fact that God is, I am. And as we see the story progress, right, and it continues to build, okay, the tension continues to build. Okay, this next um, section of the story in Exodus 7:14 through 10:29, okay, and this is where we see the plagues progress. And again, this is a pretty famous part of the story. If you hear the story, right, there's all these, these, these plagues that God puts on Egypt. Okay, in fact, there are 10 of them. Okay, we see uh, through this section, right, there's just the same pattern goes over and over and over again. Okay, and we see that all the plagues happen. The, the, the first plague is that uh, God turns all of the water in the Nile into blood. Okay, and then there's the, um, the plague of the frogs, and then of the gnats, and then flies. Sometimes we feel like we're in that plague right now, don't we? <laughs> right, and then there's the plague of the livestock, right? And then he brings on the plague of boils, and then hail, and then locusts, and then darkness. And he brings his darkness upon the land for three days. I mean, can you imagine how terrible that would be? In fact, it says it was so dark they couldn't even see their hand in front of them for three days, right? That, that would be miserable. Well, I mean, that was the point, right? Now, the interesting thing, though, as we see this, is as we start out, as Pharaoh continues in his own arrogance, in fact, we start with these plagues, as he starts out, and he's like, that's not God, and he brings in his magicians and his sorcerers, and they, and they, they can mimic, right, the, these first plagues. Okay, and he just continues to push God away and continues to say, that's not God at all. You're just pulling tricks. Right? But then as they progress, like, they finally get a few plagues in, and, and even the magician sorcerers would be like, nope, that's got to be God because we can't do that. Right? And in fact, as it goes, even in the darkness one, if you, and again, I encourage you to go back and read these. We're not going to read them. Okay? But go back. In the darkness one, it literally says that there is a, a light that is around all, every Israelite. Talk about interesting, right? Again, as they, these progress, and again, remember, the, the point of these plagues is for them that they can, will not be able to deny, deny the fact that God is who God is. Right? And they start to see all this come out, and, and these, these plagues progress through these chapters. And then we get into this, this next section of the story in Exodus chapter 11, right, through 12:42. And this is the, where the final plague comes out. Okay, and this is also where then we see the Passover, 
and the exodus of God's people when they do finally leave. In fact, it, it happens exactly as God told Moses is going to happen. Now Moses is going to, or um, Pharaoh is going to be begging you, Moses, to take the people and leave. And in fact, that's exactly what happens after this final plague. Because guess what the final plague is? The final plague is the killing of the firstborn sons of all of the Egyptians. Hey, not just their sons, but also their livestock, too. Okay, and these sons are, are killed. Now, again, I just have to say is that there's, this is that moment, though, this, this turnaround moment, I'm sure, for Pharaoh, where he realizes that God uses his own idea, his own words, his own actions, and turns it right back on him. Because do you remember what the environment was that Moses was born into? When Pharaoh is killing all of the sons of Israelites. Again, this was not God's idea. This was Pharaoh's idea. Right? And God uses Pharaoh's own tactics against him. And my guess is that that fact was not lost on Pharaoh. Right? And God uses a little irony. Right? Because God does that sometimes. Right? And, and we have this ironic turnaround. Right? And I, I want to read in Exodus chapter 12. So flip over to Exodus chapter 12 and um, look at verses 31 through 33. Okay, so I'm picking up here, Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. And this is kind of after the, the end result right, of, of all of this. And we see in verse 31, it says, So Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night, Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. And all the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. Again, as we read these verses, I tell you, talk about a 180 degree attitude turn by Pharaoh. Again, what did we see? What was his attitude when we started, right? I don't even care about your God. Even if he exists, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. Right? And notice, what does he say here? Not only does he say, leave, please leave. But he says, bless me as you go. He's literally asking Moses, hey, would you, would you throw up a prayer for me? Because, by the way, this is terrible. Right? And, and, I, and Pharaoh's acknowledging God is real. Right? He's humbled in a way. Right? That, that, again, have we ever felt that way? Ever talked to somebody and be like, man, there's no way that person would ever be open to God guess what? I'm sure that was Moses' reaction to Pharaoh. And now here's Pharaoh asking for prayers for him. Right, talk about 180 degree turn. Right, as, as he sees, right? And that's exactly what God promised. Not only did he promise that, that they will be begged to leave, that they will be blessed when they leave, but 
right? He says that you will go, right? And that Pharaoh will, I mean, God, all those promises were fulfilled here, right? But, but yet also, right, what was the purpose? That they will know that I am the Lord. And guess what? Pharaoh's not denying that now. Right? He will know. And he does. Again, why did Pharaoh ask to be blessed? Well, because his perspective of God had changed pretty dramatically. And then as we look at this, though, in the the following verses, this next section, is where um, in Exodus 12 through 13, 6, is where Israel now gets some new instructions from God. Okay, as they leave, again, they're, they're... Given all of this stuff, right, from the Egyptians, they're, they're given livestock, they're given, you know, gold and silver, I mean, all these things, right, they're just like, here, take it all, just leave, right, just, just and, and bless us as you go, and, and they do that, and again, as we say, like, the, it became stronger and stronger throughout all of the plagues, right, that the fact that God was with Israel and was not with Egypt. In fact, that's where we see in this final plague, right, none of the Israelite boys were, were killed, right, because they'd gotten these special instructions about this Passover lamb. Okay, and, and again, we talked about this just a few weeks ago. They, and and as, as we looked at this, right, they, again, they were given these very specific instructions. They can get together with your families, like, take care of this lamb, kill it, put the blood over the door, right? And, and again, where the, the, the death angel passes over all the Israelites, right, because they're marked with the blood of the lamb. And, and we see all this happen. And now here in these new instructions for Israel, in, in chapter 12, verses 43 through 51, they are given specific instructions to celebrate this happening every, every year. Okay? And, and as the Passover festival. Okay? And they commemorate this, this idea that the blood of the Lamb saves God's children. And, and we, we see they're told to that. And then in, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, then they are told to dedicate their firstborns to God. And in the midst of those instructions, it's where then it actually says that, that that firstborn son is actually given back to them by God, but he's anointed by God and then given back. Okay, and, and as we see these, these, these plans, right, these instructions, Okay, I want to read for us in, in Exodus 13, verses 14 through 16. Okay, so we're going to pick up here, Exodus 13, picking up at verse 14. And he says, As in the future your children will ask you, what does all this mean? And then you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and uh, the place of our slavery. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, so the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. And that is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except that the firstborn sons are always brought back. This ceremony will be like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead, and it is a reminder that the power of the Lord's mighty hand brought us out of Egypt. Again, God gives them these very specific instructions Right? And why? I mean, he tells them why you're going to do this every year. Right? Why are you going to do it? To teach your children what's true about God. Right? To, so that you will never forget <laughs> that I am. And that you'll naturally teach your kids right, that I am. So they will never forget. And, and as we see that, right, again, this all boils down to the same thing, right, that we saw from the very beginning. Don't ever forget that God is I am. 
Never forget that. Right? Because God's going to do different things and your life's going to go on, right? And, and, and history continues to happen and, and, and the world moves forward and, and as all these things happen, never forget that God is I am. Right? Never forget that. Again, he says here in verse, six, verse 16, he says, This ceremony will be like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead. And it's a reminder of the power of the Lord's mighty hand and how he brought us out of Egypt. It's a reminder. Never forget. Again, it's a mark branded on your hand, right? It'll affect all of your actions. And it's branded on your forehead, on your mind. It protects your, all of your thoughts, right, are about the fact that God is I am. Never forget that. And do these things and, and go through these ceremonies and, and celebrate these holidays. Right? And, and do all this so you never forget. And it's built into your life to teach your kids so they never forget. Right? And, and, and remember, especially in those times when it's tough. Especially in times when, when we think that we wonder what God's doing. Just I'll go back to this. And why, again, why this is so important and why the, even these two specific things are so important was because these events literally were foreshadow of God's son becoming the sacrificial lamb to save the world. Again, God gave us his son, his only son, right, that we could be saved. Hey, again, the, the, the firstborn males, right, why are they brought back? Guess what? God's son got brought back to him. But the mission was accomplished. Right? He, he became our sacrificial lamb. The blood of the lamb saves the lives of God's children. Why? Because God is I am. And he's a relational God. And he is a loving God. And he wants all that for us. Right? Just as I, the prophet Isaiah said, turn to me for salvation. But we see this, again, Jesus himself spoke to this while he was on earth, right? During his earthly ministry, Matthew 5, 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Again, does, does the ceremony of Passover and, and those things, does it, does it still have significant? Absolutely, it's still significant. In fact, there's, there's incredible meaning and, and symbolism that, that we can experience through those, those traditions and those ceremonies and those holidays and all those kind of things. But, but again, but it, it, it's supposed to point us to Jesus. Right? Because Jesus didn't abolish them, right? They're still true. <laughs> but he fulfilled them. Right? Because the blood of the Lamb saves the lives of God's children. And that's what God wants for you. That is God's will for you, is for you to be saved, to look to him for salvation, and to never forget that he is God. And especially when you're walking with him, especially when you're walking with him, when you're in the journey of faith, and you're taking that next step, and, and you're being obedient to that, right? And the enemy is like, no, I'm not, I don't think you should do that. And you're like, well, watch me, right? Because I'm not forgetting that God is I am. And I'm going to live out his plan, and I'm going to take that step, and I'm going to be faithful to what he's called me to, to do, no matter what. 
Again, I don't know where you're at in your journey today. Maybe you've never joined the journey of faith. Maybe you've never turned to God for salvation. If you've never done that, then you can do that today. You can just, again, receive that from God. You can just pray to him and say, God, I believe that you're real. I believe you are I am. I believe you sent Jesus to die and rose again for me. And I receive that grace and that mercy, forgiveness, and that salvation. That's how you join the journey of faith. Now, if you have joined the journey of faith, then what's the next step when you're in the journey? How do you become more like Christ tomorrow than you are today? Right, because God is the great I am. And he is transforming us, just like he transformed the people in this story, right, to know that he is God. This brings me to my final thought to, for today, and that is this. It comes out of John 3, 16 and 17. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And God sent his Son in the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He has set his plan in motion to save you, to transform you, and that you will never forget that he is the great I am. Again, I don't know where you're at in your journey today, but I hope that you will be closer to God when you leave than you were when you came. And whatever step that you need to take, take it this morning. Lord, we praise you today that you are the great I am. God, that you are all-powerful, God. That you are eternal. That you want a relationship with us, God. That you are working your plan. Not just to save us, God, but to, to, to transform us every day. To spread your word and your will, God. To save the world. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we will live out our faith every day. God, that we will be a beacon of light, just like those Israelites were in the midst of that darkness place. God, that no matter how dark the world gets, God, that your light will shine through us as individuals, that it will shine through us as your church. And God, that we will invite others in relationship with you. And God, help us to be faithful to your plan, to not give up, to not get frustrated. God, to never question that you are God. Lord, as we go this week, anoint us with your power anoint us with your spirit God and guide every path every conversation every decision we give you the glory and praise you today as the great I am guide us as we go and in Jesus precious holy name we pray amen